loved the Lord. And then about the same time, how much she loved people and how she wanted to reach people. And, and after she introduced Mike in the first service, I discovered that she also led one of the band members to Christ that was up here on the stage today earlier. So what, what an incredible beginning to my sermon today. And uh, a few Sundays ago, she had talked how fast that life had gone for her. A few Sundays ago, I talked about how fast life goes and how you got to grab a hold of every day to the fullest and that you can't blink. Well, when I thought about last year, 2014, I came to you about this time, and I said, here's going to be our emphasis for 2014. I blinked, and it's 2015. I don't know where that year went. But in 2014, I said, here's where we're headed for the year, growing up together, that all of us individually would take some steps forward in our spiritual growth. Now, at the end of 2014, we didn't want to stop. We want to keep on going. But I wanted everybody in this church to say, I'm in this whole thing. I'm going to grow with the rest of the people here at Old North. And that was the vertical dimension, growing closer with the Lord. But I want you to know there's a horizontal dimension. And that's the theme, that's the emphasis for 2015. And it is this, reaching the people around us with the good news of Jesus Christ. Growing up, reaching out. That's what the church is here for. Now, I'll be candid with you. I, I found a lot of interesting and good things here at Old North right from the beginning. Things that were uh, exciting and things that I saw happen. I mean, people talking about discipleship, how good that is. You're a church of disciples. You talk about the love for the Word. You talked about your love for expository preaching. You talked about your passion for Ohio State and the Browns and the Steelers. And you even talked about what bugs you here at Old North Church. I mean, you're right out front with it, all good things. But one of the things I didn't see as nearly as much of as I thought was a passion like Lana had to reach out to people who need Jesus Christ. And I had this sense that we need to turn the dial up on this in 2015. And so I'm going to talk about this groundswell that needs to be among us in this coming year that we as a church are going to reach out more than ever to those in our lives for the glory of Christ and for the salvation of people. Now you might be thinking, well, I'm shy. Or I don't know what to say, or I don't know non-Christian people, or that's not my bag, and uh, something like that. I just want you to know something about God. <laughs> he doesn't take excuses. He says, when I've got a mission for you, that's what I expect. I'm going to give you the spirit. I'm going to make you salt and light. No excuses. And remember Moses in Exodus chapter 3? God calls him to lead the people out. But, 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 but I can't talk. I, I stutter. And, and, and God said, not good enough, Moses. And so through Moses and Aaron, he led the people. You don't have to be perfect. And we aren't. But God wants to do something awesome through us. And in this church, we're going to be reaching more people than ever for the Lord this year. So let me put it out there very, very clearly. The elders and the pastors and I are calling everyone who calls Old North Church their church home to reach out to at least one person with the good news of Jesus Christ in this calendar year of 2015. That's the rally cry. Every one of us, hands in the middle, we call ourselves Christian, we're going to be out there and we're going to be sharing the good news of Christ. And so the big idea of my sermon today is each of us 
should make an effort to reach someone else because each of us is salt and light. Let me say that again. Each of us should make an effort to reach to someone else because each of us is salt and light. So with that truth in mind, I would like you to stand and honor the reading of the Word of God as I read our text for today. And if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you, and it is page 810. And if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one, and then you'll own a Bible. We'd be happy to give that to you as our gift. Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hid, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You may be seated. The point of the passage, the point of the sermon, you are already what you need to be, and God has already put people around you. That's the truth. You are already what you need to be, salt and light, and God has put all kinds of people around you already. And so where you live, at home, where you work, your school, where you shop, your bank, where you do recreation, your family, your neighbors, your teachers, your coworkers, your clerks, the tellers, the people and organizations, God has already put dozens of people around you, even strangers. Yes, even strangers. Some years ago, I sold my family van, put an ad in the paper. This guy comes up to me, and uh, I think it's just, yeah, this is just a business transaction. He's a stranger. I'll never see him again. That's how I could have thought. And so you've got to realize that even strangers God puts in your path from time to time. So the guy comes up, and he, he buys my van. I'm thinking, well, you know, just show me your money. I'm not thinking about anything else. Several years later, Maria and I are in Mexico on a trip, and we're on a bus on our way to see Chichen Itza, the magnificent ruins of the ancient Mayans. And we get off this bus, bus, and I start walking up the path to the ruins when this guy comes up to me and says, are you Al Detter? Whoa, I'm in Mexico, and somebody's asking me if I'm Al Detter, and he recognizes me, but I don't recognize him. And I'm kind of startled, and I say, yeah, that's me. And then he says to me, did you ever sell a Dodge van in Erie, Pennsylvania? Now he's really got my attention. Why would a stranger ask me in Mexico why I sold a van in Erie, Pennsylvania? And then he says, yeah, I'm the guy you sold it to. Remember me. And I'm thinking, oh, no. I sold him a lemon. He's followed me to Mexico. He's going to kill me. <laughs> so what do you think was the first question I asked him? How's it working? He said, it's working great. And I'm relaxing and everything. But I'm thinking, this guy knew I was a Christian. This guy knew I was a pastor. Just what if I thought, this is a stranger. I'll never see him again. I'm going to have a bad deal here. I'm selling him a lemon. Or I'm going to really ask for a whole lot of money. That's unfair. What if I would have botched my light by selling him something that was bad? It would have caught me all the way down in Mexico. Now, you might have recognized the passage that I just read. It's in that famed sermon of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. 
And right before the section I read today are these verses that we call the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes start with blessed. And Jesus is saying there is a condition of heart, nine different ones, nine different pronouncements, that even though life could be bad for you, if you understand what God has in mind for you in the future, you can be blessed right now and you can be joyful right now in a ton of difficult circumstances. Now, Jesus is coming right off of that to say, if you are blessed that way, even though life is giving you some hard knocks and you can be joyful because you know what God's going to do for you, you will be an influence to those around you who say, whoa, how in the world can they live so well or have such a good attitude when things are so bad? You will have an influence. And Jesus says the kind of influence, the beatitude kind of people will have is that they are going to be salt and light. And he uses these metaphors. Now the interesting thing is this, it's not just the metaphor he's using of salt and life. It's the tense. He says, you are salt. You are light. It's not that you will become as you mature salt and light. Right now, by virtue of your very nature, that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are at this moment salt and light. Now let's fast forward to thousand years. Jesus told the people sitting around him, you're salt and light. And he says the same thing to you today in 2015 here at Old North Church. If you know Jesus Christ today, you are salt. You are light. And we need to be influencing our world around us as salt and light. So let's go to the teaching. Let's look at these two metaphors and see how they connect to us today here at Old North. Metaphor number one. We are salt to those around. Not that we will be or we might be. We right now are salt to those around us. Now, salt is very pervasive in our diets. Uh, you could read the sodium content on the uh, uh, ingredients or nutrients on every package you buy of food, and, but we don't talk about it that much. Back in the days of Jesus, it was much more talked about. It was a big thing because how would you like to live without a refrigerator? May I see your hands? I don't see any hands. That's what they had to do. And so salt was a preservative for them. And if they wanted to keep their meat and other things from spoiling, they would pack it around, and the salt would there would prevent and inhibit decay, and it was there to keep it from spoiling. The second use of salt in those days was for seasoning, like we do. And so if there was a bland food, we'd say, hmm, that needs a little bit more salt, and out it would go, and they would uh, spice up their food. Now, you could read the commentaries of Jesus and what he had in mind about when he said, you are salt. But for my money, I think it's right there in the text. Verse 13, Jesus tells us right out, if the salt has lost its what? Its taste, its flavor, its seasoning. We are a Christian if we call him as Lord and Lord and we've come to know him as our Savior. We are to season our circle of influence. And what God has done is when those people who come to know Christ as Savior by the millions... He's taken, as it were, his salt shaker, and he went across the entire globe, and he spilled us out to be seasoning of influence to whoever in our life that God has put in our path. Now, Jesus mentions two options about this salt. Option number one is that we can be salt with flavor. Now, God has given me the privilege to travel around the world quite a bit, and I use salt wherever I go. 
I don't care if I've been in, in the remote of Africa or over in the Philippines or in a nice restaurant in Israel and I use the salt shaker, it's always salty. I've never had a salt shaker anywhere in the world that it wasn't salt. And this is what Jesus has in mind. If you are a Christian, you're a salt. I don't care if you're a brand new Christian, he says. I don't care if you're a Christian for 50 years. You are salt. And Jesus is going to place people around the world to be salt and influence a a society for him. But then he talks about option two. We can be salt without flavor. Now, do you know it's almost impossible for a salt to lose its saltiness? Hardly ever happens. But I think I know what was in the minds of the hearers of Jesus when he told this teaching. They were thinking of the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is nine times saltier than the ocean. Because all the minerals come into the Dead Sea, it doesn't flow, and the water evaporates and becomes much more potent. And so this water would collect in salt pits and evaporate, leaving behind these salty mineral deposits and this outer layer, the top layer, tended to lose its flavor because of the chemical changes that would come from the sun in the heat. And that layer, that top layer of salt would lose its flavor, would lose its saltiness, and it was worthless. And the only thing they could do with it was throw it away, discard it. And Jesus pulls no punches when he told his audience, don't be a Christian and be like that top layer of salt down by the Dead Sea. Don't lose your salt because then what are you good for in terms of Christ and seizing the world and their need to know him? And so he's saying, if you are a true disciple of mine, you will be salt. And if you are not, there's some big questions about your discipleship. Well, what does a salty Christian look like? Well, that's not hard to answer. I'm sorry, what does a a Christian without salt look like? Well, that's not hard to answer. A person who has lost his salt, nobody knows he's a Christian. He's in secret. And he doesn't share anything. People would never know. Woo, he's a Christian. You know, one of the funny things over my ministry was is for people to come into a church, see somebody they knew, they were from the community, say, oh, I didn't know you were a church person. <laughs> I'd say, that person's probably lost some of their salt. Another way you lose your salt is by living just like the rest of the world lives around you. And there's no distinction. And you've lost your flavor. You're no longer seasoning. And one of the biggest reasons... For the loss of salt flavor is that we live like the world around us and there is no recognizable difference. The good news is that even though salt can never regain its saltiness if it loses it, Christians who lose their saltiness can. Do you know what we call that? We call it repentance. You can say, Lord, I've gone silent as a Christian. People don't know I'm a Christian. I've repented over that. Lord, I've been living just like the rest of this world and all of its darkness. I repented that. And you know what the Lord will do? Say, okay, I love you. I forgive you. And bring your salt back into your life. It's interesting that even the early church lost their saltiness from time to time. And when they recognized that some of the early churches, here's what they would do. Say, oh, we've lost our salt. And when they repented, they would say this about what Jesus said 
It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. They would actually come to church and the person or people who would have lost their saltiness would lay at the front of the church and people would step across them and the person would say who they stepped across, trample on me who is the salt who lost its flavor. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? I would say that's taking things pretty seriously and so should we. Beloved, if you are a Christian, you are salt. And may it never be said that anybody at Old North Church lost his or her saltiness. Let's move on to the next metaphor. It is we are light to those around us, verses 14 through 16. So Jesus says, if we're going to influence our circle of friends and the world, you are first of all salt but you are also light. And what does light do? It has a number of functions, but one of them is to dispel darkness. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. In total darkness, it's impossible to see. You will stumble. You will fall. You will lose your bearings. It'll be a crazy sensation. And that's what Jesus wants to prevent. He he doesn't want this world of darkness to stay in darkness. So he's given the world the church. I was on vacation in Texas a couple years ago, and we decided to visit a cave. And so our family went into this cave, and we went way down into the center, as it were, it seemed, the earth. And then you know what they did to us when we were down in the center of that cave? They turned the lights off on us. It was scary. I couldn't see anything. I couldn't see my hand this close to me. So you know what I did? I turned on my cell phone. Just opened it up. And guess what? I could see just enough to make it meaningful. And God is saying, all I want you to be, at least in this dark world, is at least a cell phone. Just open it up. People will see you, they'll see light, and part of the darkness will be dispelled. And if you can't see it, my friends, this world is getting darker and darker. And we, more than ever, need Christians to be light of the world. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about this whole thing when he says how God delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into his marvelous light. And Paul echoes the words of Jesus in Ephesians 5 and verse 8. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. And the function of a Christian is to be what Jesus was. He was light. And now that he's with the Father, we have become his light. So... As with salt, there are two options with light. One is natural, and one is ridiculous. Here's the natural thing. Number one option, we can shine our lights. Now, the normal thing for light is to shine into the darkness so that we can see. And that's what light is supposed to do, so that when you are in a crowd, your light should be shining, and people can see your light. And even in the darkness, just a little light on a hill cannot be hid. It only takes a little When I'm over in Israel, I I like to go out at night and see, and we look around, and there are lots of hills in Israel, and uh, Jesus was talking about that a city on a hill cannot be hid. And so what they do is they light their little oil lamps, and this house and that house on top of a hill, and you can see just that little light for miles. It's incredible. But the same thing is true here in our days. It only takes a little light on a hill, and people can see it for miles, and I have a firsthand illustration of that. Oh, about eight years ago, I decided to take 12 couples out for a marriage retreat. 
And they needed personal enrichment and encouragement. We were going to have a great overnight. And that Friday night, a big storm blew into Erie. And for miles around, even to western New York, the power went out. I'm thinking, oh no, what do we do? We were booked at the Holiday Inn Express in Finley Lake, New York on I-90. And it was out. And I didn't have great ways of getting a hold of my people. So we did everything we could to pull it together. But the people that owned the Holiday and Express happening also owned the Peak and Peak Resort in New York. Anybody ever hear of Peak and Peak? Well, Peak and Peak, of all things, is run off of generators. And so what they did, when everybody else's power was out for miles around, Peak and Peak turned on their generators, and because they're on a hill and they have ski slopes, all the lights went on, and you couldn't see anything in the blackness, but what stood out? was peak and peak. And they said, our generators are on. We're moving your retreat from Holiday and Express to peak and peak. And they whined and dined us. Well, actually, they didn't whine us. They just dined us. <laughs> the same thing is true today. I stood in Finley Lake directing traffic of my retreat up to where the light was. You could see the light for miles. And I am here to tell you, because the world is so dark, if you are willing to be a testimony for our Lord Jesus Christ, your light cannot be missed. People will see it just miles away. But there's another option. That other option is you could hide our light. We can hide our light. Jesus said when you light an oil lamp in a dark house at night and you put a basket over it, that you will hide the light. Now, why would you want at nighttime, light your oil lamp in Israel and then put a basket over so people couldn't see the light you just lit? Doesn't make any sense. And that's how stupid it is to be a Christian and hide your light. Now, you might be wondering, when Jesus said that one lamp could light a whole house, how could that be? Because you know my house, your house, we have many rooms. And to light one light wouldn't light the whole house. Well, back in those days, most of the houses, they lived in one room. And in that one room, they all slept, and they had their breakfast, and they played, and they did their homework, whatever it was. They all, and so in one room, when you lit the light, everybody's light, they could see that one light, and the whole house would be lit. What is Jesus saying? Every Christian is a lamp in this world, and how stupid it would be to cover up your light. The only sensible thing to do is to realize you are light and let it shine in the darkness. Now, you might be wondering, well, what are those things that, uh, uh, that you need to do? You have to do the good works, and that's what leads us so incredibly to where we're going in what Jesus said. That verse 16, so the people around you can see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. And Jesus is saying, how you shine your light is by doing good works. And once people know that you're a Christian and you do good works, they will see your light and they will give glory to God. Now, once you're known as a Christian, what kind of things do we need to do to shine our light? Well, some things like this. Give somebody a kind word and not a harsh one. Help somebody in need. Don't neglect them. Give a gentle response to somebody who's yelling at you. Don't complain like other people. Tell the truth. Be honest in your dealings. Show love to your spouse and your children. Show respect to your parents and older people. Be as good as your word, and the list is long from there. Once you're known as a Christian, those kinds of things will amplify your light. But once you're known as a Christian and you don't do good works, but you do bad works, you hide the light. So how do you, how do you hide the light? 
Well, you hide, you, you hide the light by fighting in your marriage, screaming at your kids, being rude to clerks and tellers, getting drunk, being promiscuous, lying, manipulation, using profanity, laziness at work, all those kinds of things and more. Hide your light. And so Jesus is saying, don't do the things of darkness. Don't hide your light. Do the things of light, the good works that will glorify the Father in heaven. And people will begin to give him praise. And some of them will be put into a position to receive Jesus Christ as their own Savior. The reality is that so many Christians have hidden their lights by bad works that people don't take God seriously. And when they look at other Christians, they see them with the bad works that are out there. They say, you know what? If that's a Christian, I don't want to be one. And so Christians who hide their lights give God black eyes, give the church bad eyes, uh, black eyes. And I think it's the number one cause of hurting the mission of Christ more than anything else is that Christians who are light have hidden their light under a basket. Some years ago, I realized it doesn't matter where you are. We always have to be on guard no matter what, that our light shines even to strangers. For Maria and I got on a flight uh, from Erie to Pittsburgh to eventually end up at Hilton Head, but it was late getting out of Pittsburgh, and it made the connection in Pittsburgh impossible. But I thought, we're going to race to the gate. We'll get there just in time. And so in a sweaty mess, we arrived at the gate just in time to see the attendant close the jetway. And I am thinking to myself, with my negotiating skills, I'll get her to open that door. And so I asked her to open the door. She wouldn't bend. And what made matters worse, she had just shut that door, and the plane sat on the jetway, excuse me, outside the window for 25 more minutes and did not move. That started my blood to boiling, and I began to get a little bit irate. And so I said, I want to talk to your supervisor. And so she led me to the supervisor, and uh, uh, we began to talk to her, and she said, may I see your ticket, please? And I said, okay, here's my ticket. As I handed her my ticket, I happened to see it say, Reverend Al Detter. (laughs) And I thought to myself, our EV is not going to change the importance of this moment. I'm going to let her know my frustration, and that is irrelevant. I wasn't thinking light at all. And so I didn't sin, but I gave her every ounce of my frustration up to that point. And as I did, my wife backed away from me, and she didn't want to know me either. And I'm getting more peeved that she wouldn't be there with me. You ever been there? So the way it was. Not a good situation. So I get on the next plane. And I sit down, still angry, when this small voice inside of me says, Al, maybe those three little, wor- three little letters, R-E-V, didn't mean much to you, but they meant an awful lot about me, and you made me look bad. God. Phew. Talk about conviction. I slithered down on my seat. I said, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? I really screwed things up. I was not on my guard and I put my light under a bushel. Well, the week went on. As the last few days came, I said, Lord, we've got to go back through Pittsburgh. Please, could you somehow in that large airport get me to that lady, that supervisor? I thought it was impossible. And so we leave Savannah that day, come back a week later on, and somehow, instead of 
going to the gate, they, they, they routed us to the main ticket counter, and there's this long line snaking all the way to about nine different stations of agents to the front, and I'm thinking, we're so far away from that gate where it happened, it'll never happen, but Lord, can you please get me to that lady? I need to apologize. You know, all of a sudden, as I got closer, I said, there she is. I can't believe this. Now, what are the odds that when I would step up, they say, next, and it would be that lady? And it was. I walk up to her, and I said, ma'am, do you remember me? And she said, yeah. <laughs> You're that rev who really let me have it last week. And I could tell she didn't want to see me. And I said, ma'am, and I apologized all over the place. And she forgave me, and then she began to cry. She said, all the years that I worked here, I've never had anybody ever come up and ask me to forgive them for being nasty. <laughs> that was all of God. Rarely do you get a second chance to be light the way you should. And I praise God for that. But Jesus said, you are salt. You are light. Don't lose your saltiness. Don't hide your light under a basket for any reason. And so it only makes sense, my dear fellow believers, that this year, in 2015, more than ever as we see the world getting darker and darker, that we will be salt and light to those around us. And so what do I mean when I talk about, maybe you figured it out by now, reaching one, each of us reaching one? What I'm talking about is this calendar year, Every one of us will pick one person to serve, do good works towards. Every one of us will pick that person to invite to some function here at Old North. Everybody, everybody will pick that one person at some point that God would open up the door for you to tell the gospel story like Lana did to Mike and to somebody else on this platform. And that's why we put on this compass today, this formula, this little equation, if you will, that reach one equals serving one and inviting one and telling one. And I have to help you to understand that every one of us need to do the ministry and the mission because one can't do it all by himself. Listen to this. If you were to go to Las Vegas, just you, and sleep in every hotel room that they have, one night per room, do you know how many years it would take you to sleep in one room hotel room every night in Las Vegas, do you know how many years it would take if you did it by yourself? 288 years. Now, think about it this way. Let's bring it close to home. A quarter million people in the Mahoning Valley, in Boardman, Austintown, and Canfield. There are approximately 80,000 people. Do you know how long it would take me to talk to one person a day to all those 80,000 people, it would take me 219 years. But guess what? If the 1,500 or 2,000 that call Old North Church their home, if every one of us would be willing to just take one person and say, God, this is the person I'm going to pray for. This is the person I'm going to serve. This is the person I'm going to invite. This is the person I'm going to wait for an opportunity to share with. Can you imagine the dent that we can make in people who need Jesus Christ in our region in this calendar year. Now, we've chosen the text for Reach One. It's Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. I learned it in Sunday school. Maybe our children have learned it in Sunday school or in Awana. It's so easy. And I want you to remember it for a whole year because this is where it's at. It is this. 
Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. Be a disciple and you'll be reaching out. And we're only asking that you reach one this year for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so two things as I close. See, see this magnet? These are all over the place. Look behind you right now. See the magnets on the door? There's some over there. They're all over. Wherever there is a metal surface, there is a magnet. And what I'm asking, I'm not asking for you to sign a card and put your name on and everything. I'm just asking you to be obedient to the Lord. If you call your disciple, self a disciple, to follow him and reach out to people, that what you will do to say, my hand's in the middle, we're a team, we're going to do this this year, that you take one of these as you leave, no matter where it is in the building, and take it home and put it on your refrigerator and every day say, Lord, I'm praying for this person, etc. Here's the second thing. Not only take a magnet and say, I'm in, but next week, I would like you to come with one name on your mind, one name on your mind that this is the person God is leading you to reach towards this coming year. Don't want the last name, just the first name. And so after I preached this morning, one father came up to me and right there blessed me incredibly. When he said, you know what happened at basketball yesterday when I brought my seven-year-old girl here? She said, I saw this magnet. She said, Dad, what is this, this reach one? And he said, you know, pastor's going to be talking tomorrow about just reaching one person in one year for the Lord Jesus. And you know what she said? Daddy, can we reach 50? <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. A seven-year-old got the message, and that's what we're looking for for 2015. And so when I was a kid, seven years old, I learned a song in Sunday school. Maybe you did too. It's an easy song if you don't know it. Maybe you can sing it with me, but it says it all. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Anybody know that song? Anybody know that song? Yeah, okay. Well, with a child's heart of outreach and with an adult sense of responsibility and love, Let's be thinking about the light we can be to reach somebody this year. And I'm going to ask you to sing this song with me. If you're in this, would you stand right now and say, Lord, use me to be a light. If that's your heart, would you sing this song with me a cappella as we close. And may it be reality in your life that this little light of mine is going to shine all over the valley this year. Join me, okay?